0: QC Pod is a production of the Queens Podcast Lab. This is QC Pod. I'm Jason Tuga. QC Pod features the people, projects, movements, and ideas that make up the Queens College community. To learn more, visit us at queenspodcastlab.org/QC Pod.
1: Hello and welcome to the QC pod. My name is Anthony Borelli. I will be your host today. And on this episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Ryan Earl, PhD LMFT. Also goes by Dr. Mick. Uh, He is the president and host of Game Sessions with a Therapist LLC. Today, I'm going to be talking with him about video games, mental health, how they work together and how he uses video games to talk about them talk about mental health, and I'm very excited to have him here today. Quick disclaimer, this interview took place in the fall of 2021, and it is now spring 2022, so Dr. Mick is making new content. Right now, he's playing Cyberpunk 2077. However, I'd like to play a clip from when he played The Last of Us 2 and talked about it. Spoiler and content warning we will be talking about some serious issues, so please keep that in mind. Thank you. Wow, Joel, isn't that incredible? (laughs) Why don't you tell me what you like about it? Hmm, I don't know. People in your time, they had it easy. Hmm. I guess, relatively speaking, sure. I mean, they didn't need to go to space, but they did it anyway. It's ballsy.
0: (laughs) Ballsy.
1: All kiddo.
0: Yo, that line from Joel is the best possible deflection he could ever give to Ellie. See, she's still a kid. And kids, when interested in a thing, but not sure whether it's okay or cool or acceptable to like a thing, We'll look to their caregivers to see what their reactions are about the thing that they're interested in. And oftentimes are hoping that when they talk about it with their caregiver, that that caregiver will be as excited about it as they are, which oftentimes is not the case. So Ellie turns and sort of says like, you know, what do you think? Isn't this incredible? Joel is not, probably doesn't care. Instead of making it about him, he turns it back to her and makes it about her and says, you tell me what you like about it. Which tells her two big things. The biggest one being, I care about you. I care about why you like this stuff. That whether I like this stuff ultimately doesn't matter because I'm invested in this because you are invested in this. And I think that's cool. That is possibly the most meaningful thing that he could ever say to her. And the second thing that it provides is an opportunity for her to engage with why she is interested with it, not just why others... Or media has told her she should be interested in it. She gets to develop an original thought about that. So those two things happening simultaneously are huge, and it happens in just one little line. It's awesome. Freaking love it, man.
1: Dr. Mick, Ryan, however you want me to address you. How you doing today? What's going on? <laughs> both,
0: both are fine, and uh, I'm doing well. I appreciate you reaching out to me to bring me on the podcast, and I am... Looking forward to talking about what we're going to talk about because those are two of my greatest passions. So I'll, I can talk all night about it if I'm given the opportunity. So thanks for bringing me on. And thanks to anybody who's listening to us right now.
1: Uh, everybody is excited and uh, maybe not as excited as I am. I'm kind of a fan. <laughs> so um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, and um, how you got into this line of work that you're in right now?
0: sure so i uh, i wear quite a few hats i am the I'm, so i'm the owner and i'm the president and co-founder of starline therapy which is a group therapy practice that's based out of las vegas but we also see clients in illinois and then i know what you're more interested in is the fact that i also own game sessions with the therapist which is what i kind of the subheading of what i call my stream on youtube which right. is a stream that basically combines video games with discussions about mental health so since i'm a therapist i have the ability i suppose to highlight certain psychological concepts that come up in various video games and over the last three years but especially over the last year my stream has really been honed in on playing like role-playing games and story-driven games like the last of us and red dead redemption 2 and uh, detroit become human We use those games to illustrate certain concepts as they come up and just, my goal in creating the stream three years ago was to create a spot where people had more access to mental health information, people that wouldn't otherwise have that information. Frustrates me a lot how inaccessible good mental health information is and how therapists are. And I wanted to create a space where people could maybe feel a little bit more comfortable looking into finding a therapist of their own, learning a little bit about mental health in a medium that's more engaging to them than, I don't know, some random ass like talk show or something. Yeah. And, uh, and, and just like a place where people could ask me questions. Like I don't, I always like to make sure I'm clear up front that like I don't give professional advice on my stream. I am hyper vigilant about making sure that everything I do is done ethically and responsibly, mm-hmm. but I can provide general information in the stream over the last three years. I've had many, many, many people tell me that it's helped them feel more comfortable going to therapy. They've learned a little bit about themselves, whether it was through asking me questions directly or through something that I talked about in a video game or whatever have you. So it's turned into something bigger than I even imagined it would when I started doing it. And right. I have really enjoyed it a lot. Um, and I think it's also important for people to know I, I was a I was a clinical assistant professor of psychology at Northwestern for a couple of years and up in Chicago. And I left that job in 2019 so that I could start a practice in stream more often. And so I take a lot, I bring a lot of knowledge into what I do and I try to share it with as many people as I can.
1: Excellent. I mean, that's such a creative uh, outlet for a creative way to reach a demographic of people. I know video games are primarily played all over the spectrum, but the, you know, young men, you know, I I started playing video games when I was four, you know, and you grow up Mm -hmm. with video games. I'm sure you did in this newer era since you know since the 1990s early 2000s really online video games have become huge so it's it's really cool to watch you play story-driven video games and talk about these characters and how they process things and relate it to the real world because you know you you're not gonna do that in a Call of Duty lobby. <laughs> It'd be fun to watch and maybe pause. it. You, you know. can,
0: but uh, I, I used to do it with Destiny. I used to play I used to play Destiny 2 in the background, and I would literally just interact with chat and answer questions. And that got to be a lot as my community grew. But yeah. now I've kind of found my niche with the with the story-driven games. And it's not all serious either. Like I yeah. as if you've I'm Sure, you've watched some of my stuff since we've been getting to know each other like i i it's not all just like buttoned up mental health talk like i do dumb stuff and we have crazy moments happen in the games and we laugh about it and it's it's a good mixture of fun and information
1: a levity always helps too i saw a clip today um from you it was one of the shorts on youtube from when you played red dead redemption 2 and you know somebody had passed in the game and they're in the water <laughs> and then a crocodile or an alligator popped out of nowhere and just ate them and you were like oh you know god works in mysterious god, ways god does come up. in the
0: form of an alligator yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: i was yeah. i was enjoying that and you know i think that that really um can really says something about your community because uh, i'm in the discord now and mm-hmm. uh, for those who don't know discord is a uh it's a chat server you can join. Uh, it's an app on your phone or on the computer, the website. And uh, everybody who wants to use it or have their own server can create one. And Dr. Mick here has his own. And he talks to his community and he reaches out and he, and they reach out to him. He's very responsive. And I, I just want to know, um, what, what was it about uh video games specifically that you decided because you could do television you can do film you can analyze these what was it about story-driven video games that you think made you want to go about streaming this way
0: so video games so like you video games have been a part of my life since i was about five i got a sega genesis when i was like five years old and that was my that was my intro to video games and never looked back so, I don't watch a lot of movies, and I don't watch a lot of TV. So, those two are out, and I, the thing about video games, I love that I get to actually engage with the world instead of just be a bystander in it. So, video games have always interested me more than books, movies, and TV shows. And I... I mean, I'll give you a little bit of context for how the stream came about because I think it helps answer this question. So, I, I saw... I didn't know what like Twitch or YouTube, re- well, I knew what YouTube was, but I didn't know what Twitch was or how it worked before I started right. streaming. And I had seen though, that there were some, there were streamers that were saying things along the lines of like, Hey, I'm not a, I'm not your therapist. So please stop saying stuff in chat about like your mental health and asking me like questions you would need to ask a therapist. Like, I'm not a therapist. I, I don't know how to respond. And so I remember seeing those and I was like, well, wait a second, I'm a gamer play games all the time. It's what has filled my free time throughout my life. Got me through depression my freshman year of undergrad. It, I mean, video games have always been there. Destiny was there through my doctoral program. It's there. You can't have my life without video games. I was like, well, that would be kind of interesting if I played video games and talked to people about mental health, because I can do that. I wear both of those hats and I'm passionate about both. And I've written art like journal articles about video games and, and therapy. So, I mean, it's just in my wheelhouse. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then over the first two years, I kind of did a bunch of different things and the community built. And then over the last year, especially what it started with Mass Effect, I think, um, I started doing the story driven games and the narrative driven games with relationships. And that has provided like this dual, there's like two things that can go on in my stream. Like the first one is people learn stuff from watching the analysis I have of the characters where something will happen and then I pause the game and then I give exactly what it is that I see and provide some theoretical insight. Or people can tag me in chat and ask me questions directly. And I answer them to my best, to the best of my ability and within my ethical boundaries. And those are kind of the two ways that I reach people while I'm live. And then we also turn those into TikTok videos, which you've seen in Instagram stories and I mean, we, I'm on every. Social media platform there is right now, but except for, I'm on I stream and put vods on Twitch now at this or on uh, YouTube at this point, not Twitch. But right. yeah, it's just it's grown into a whole like ecosystem instead of just being me hanging out for an hour every night playing games and talking to people.
1: I mean that's incredible. How do you how do you balance the social media aspect of it? Do you, does it not work automatically? But do you does it function more as like okay? Do you have people in your team? Who help you now? Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, I do, oh, dude. I couldn't do this by myself. So, <laughs> um, so what happens is, so I have, so my my, I have two two, my two best friends are heavily involved in the behind the scenes aspects of the stream. So I have um, one friend, Jared, who kind of serves as my acting manager, and he engages with brands and companies and he vets stuff for me before I get involved, and he. Uh, is a person I actually met in graduate school and he has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. So he's very in- intertwined in the mental health aspect things with me. And nice. then I have my other friend, Sean, who went to school for video editing and he does all of my social media and like engagement in video editing. So I go live, I I do the stream, I do everything that I do. And then Sean is basically the person that takes all of that and curates it into social media posts. So I do my Twitter, anything you see on my Twitter is me, but then while I'm streaming, if I have, like say there's a moment that happens in Red Dead and then I analyze it. I tag what happens there with a marker on the video and then Sean goes into the VOD, finds the marker, takes the clip, chunks it out, and then edits it, and then he'll put it on TikTok and Instagram. So we have like a whole well-oiled machine with how we do this stuff. And like Sean does montages, he does channel trailers, he does all this stuff for me. And the three of us are constantly, we meet weekly, we're constantly working together to try to figure out what kind of partnerships I wanna make with brands and how I wanna get certain content out. They keep me in check and it's just, it's awesome to have my two best friends involved in that. So those of you that watch my TikTok videos, Yes, I'm the one creating the content, but Sean is the one that's making the edits and actually making it look really good and presentable in that sphere. So I look at TikTok and Instagram as kind of like the storefront window where you look right. in and you see what I do. And then the YouTube stuff is the the storefront where you like walk in and you see everything. TikTok just yeah, a little taste. You
1: have two hour, three hour long YouTube videos. And yep. as somebody who, you know, I listen to like, very long podcasts. I listen to like albums all the time, all the way through. So seeing somebody with a long video, like I'll do the dish, I'll be doing chores. I can just listen. Cause I don't necessarily need to watch. I can I'm looking, but it's nice to have that kind of but it's also great to have the bite size stuff. Cause I discovered you myself personally on TikTok mm-hmm. and it was the bite size you're playing a clip and then you know you pause it and you're like well okay you break it down you know this Mm -hmm. is what's happening right now this is why i made this decision and i definitely want to talk about that later because there's two different types of role-playing games you play you play mass effect and detroit human or detroit become human and those games you get to make your own decisions while Mm -hmm. the last of us you're dealing with the decisions of the characters in, yep. in that and Red Dead Redemption and even... Actually, I haven't played Red Dead Redemption too. Do you make decisions in that?
0: Or is uh, it it's a little bit... You make decisions of where you go and you move... It's a traditional kind of rock star game where you move through the world and make your decisions of where you want to go, but the narrative itself, you don't have a ton of... You have some choices, but it's nothing like Detroit or Mass Effect.
1: Yeah, they determine the in those games when you're playing the decisions you make determine the outcome of the story, whereas that's already set with games like The right. Last of Us and Red Dead. Yep. And before I before we get into the games, because that's definitely definitely my wheelhouse, I do want to ask you, it sounds like you're doing a lot as well as having your own company. And do you do still practice family oh, yeah. therapy? Okay. So how do you find time for all that? Where Where's the balance come from?
0: Well, it would be a lot harder to balance if I didn't have my friends helping me out with how I get stuff out onto social media. I can tell you that. But yeah. I, so I see about, I see just over 20 clients a week still in my practice and I do all of the administrative tasks. So here's the thing. So it's so, I'm, if people can't see your face right now. Oh no, sometimes. yeah, I'm shocked. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so here's the thing to understand because I think you do, you have to have some history here to understand why this is actually not that bad for me. I, when I was a, when I was a professor and when I was really, when I was a PhD student, well, but, uh, I was working 50 to 60 hours a week, like just in my day job. And when I started streaming on top of that job, I was streaming from 11.30 p.m. Central Time until about 1 to 1.30 a.m. Central Time. And I would go to bed and I'd wake up at like 7 a.m. and then I'd do my day again.
1: Oh, six hours. That's, you
0: know. I have been lucky (laughs) enough throughout my life to only sleep four to six hours a night. But the thing is, is like now that I... Own my own practice. I do get to make my own hours, and so mm. I see clients. I do I do my notes. I do everything that goes along with being a therapist. I do my administrative work on Wednesdays, and then my off day is Thursday, where I'll get miscellaneous stuff done if I need to. But like I chunk my schedule out. I stream every night at nine thirty p.m. Pacific time for anybody who's listening and wants to watch. And the playing video games is what I would be doing anyway. Yeah. So. I My wife goes to bed at like 1030, so I'm always up till like two or three. So I need to fill that time. So for me, it's like this is what I would normally be doing, but I get to now do something even more meaningful on top of it. And what what I the analogy I use is like. Like a plumber knows what they're doing when they come into your bathroom to fix your pipes And they're probably not exhausted by the knowledge that they have about what it is they have to do. And you could apply that to any trade, right? Me taking these games and applying psychological concepts to them is not difficult. It's not tiring. I'm not, like, it's not exhausting to me in a way that I think it would be to a non-therapist who tries to do that, right? So for me, I get energy from the stream. It's a form (laughs) of self-care for me. So balancing that, and I stream... I stream what? I probably about 24 hours a week on top wow. of everything else I do. So, yeah, it's usually about three and a half to four hours a night. And I stream every night except for Mondays. So I, I enjoy doing it. I, I love being a therapist and I love streaming. So it's really not hard to do those things because I I love doing them so much. I'm not I'm not at odds with myself while I'm doing it where I'm burnt out.
1: I got to find a way to make watching TikTok till three in the morning you know, profitable and fun for me (laughs) to start (laughs) streaming myself playing or just scrolling, scrolling, you know,
0: because that's your reactions to TikToks.
1: Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's break this one down. This 15 second TikTok. We're going to take 30 minutes and you're going to get every frame. But seriously, you you have a job that you love and you get to play video games and talk about them. And I think that there's also a great I something I love about what you're doing is that people don't talk about video games, the biggest entertainment industry, you know, now, especially with streaming, it was already making more than film and television. And we have somebody talking about it from a different perspective, from a mental health perspective. And it's not just playing the games and talking about the characters. Because you talk to your audience? Like we said, Mm -hmm. and it's about dealing with a community that I feel like doesn't get enough attention. And, there is so much going on, especially in youth culture, around video games, around communities, on Discord, on, yep. on every streaming service, you know, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube especially. And it's nice to see somebody engaging, not that other content creators don't, but it's nice to see in the field that you're working in, especially you engaging with people uh, at that level. And the content really, like you said, you have people reach out and you talk to them and just watching your, uh, your streams and your clips helps them understand themselves better. So,
0: which is my goal. And I mean, pandemic aside, parasocial relationships are becoming increasingly like ubiquitous with people's lives. And I work really hard to have a healthy parasocial relationship with. My viewers. So, if people find my community and are engrossed in my community, the hope is that that's a healthy experience for them. And, I mean, as you know, as somebody who engages with TikTok a lot, but this happens on other platforms as well. There are not great representations of mental health practitioners um, and of mental health out on some of these platforms, which is very disheartening. And so, yeah. I try to cut through some of that bullshit and be a Ethical, responsible vehicle through which people can get a sense of community, but also get good information and know where to be pointed in the right direction by me.
1: Right, and that's that's important because there is a lot of information right now. We're in the information age or post-information age. I don't know, but it's it's overwhelming sometimes, especially yep. when you're on social media like TikTok, where you just keep moving and you see this person talking about their mental health, and somebody's in the comments saying, no this, no that, there's so much going on. There's bound to be people, whether they know it or understand that they're perpetuating negative aspects of mental health, it's happening, it's probably Mm -hmm. happening more, but there's also a greater, um, it stems from a place of, you know good intention. People want to understand mental health more now than ever. They don't want to yep. sit on it. They want to talk about it, which is why again your platform perfect for it. Somebody talking about mental health and you know, for all of the negative out there, there is good and there are people that check those who say something wrong incorrectly and it's nice to see. So mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, as things progress People calm down a little bit more, but it's hard because you're right. Parasocial relationships are a lot more common these days. And you know, just seeing somebody with a platform be mad at another, like, streamer or something like that, and then their chat goes and attacks the other person's chat stuff like that. It's very interesting to watch happen. But right now, however, I do want to switch topics because. I think we're ready to talk about the actual video games that you've been playing. Uh, Well, first I do want to ask, has the writing of these fictional characters ever contradicted with what you might actually see in real life? Is there any inconsistencies in any of these games? Not to call out the writers of these games. Mental health is a tough issue to write about, I feel. so, Or it seems like it is from the outside. So uh, has there been anything in the games you play so far where you're like, "Mm, I don't know about that?
0: No, which may be a surprising answer, but I, so here's the thing. I I say this to, uh, to people all the time when I'm streaming, whether writers of video games intend to do so or not, the concepts are there regardless. Right. So in a game like, I mean, I think The Last of Us is one that's very obviously trying to say something, but it even take a game like Red Dead Redemption, I could look at the dynamics between characters and can generally find something theoretically that can help explain what it is that's going on in the game. And I think The Last of Us is probably the best example of that is maybe you've noticed in watching the playthrough, I don't ever give my opinion on the game. The only thing that I do is take moments that happen and I say, okay, so here's an example of this. Here's an example of that. And I can't think of any moments off the top of my head where I looked at the decision that a character made or something that happened, and I thought to myself, that just straight up doesn't work. (laughs) Because I think if it was that obvious that it didn't work, the writers would realize that. Like, writers of video games are pretty good at what they do. And so I think the only way that something could be done wrong is if, like let's say Arthur Morgan in Red Dead starts talking about attachment theory and is blatantly wrong in how he's discussing the attachment theory, which he would never do and you would never see in a video game. That's where there might be an issue where I would have to call it out and be like, yo, this isn't how attachment theory works. Right. But if I see the way that attachment theory can be applied to the relationships that are presented to me, that's something I can use to illustrate that regardless. And I think that's the beauty of, of video games and, like, the way that they're written and also the fact that in games like Mass Effect you get to interface with the characters because I can make a justification for how I engage with those characters. Like, a case in point would be recently in Red Dead. There's a moment where Arthur gets called upon by his, like, ex-girlfriend to do this task for him. And he hasn't talked to her in, like, years. And the game gives you an option of whether you actually want to do that or not. Like, And the gamer in me wants to say yes because I want to see what's going to happen in the game, right? Like, I want to play the game to completion. I want to know what's available. But the therapist in me is like, don't do that. Absolutely do not say yes to her because what she just did in that context psychologically doesn't square up for a person who's trying to engage in healthy, meaningful relationships. Right. So I said no. And it's and it's it's a weird that was a moment that I think is maybe the closest to what you're asking, where I was like, damn, like saying yes to this really is perpetuating a problematic dynamic. And that is that is not something I mean, it's something that people do all the time, but it's not something that I in good faith can advocate for because I teach people to do otherwise. So saying no to that meant missing out on a bunch of content in the game but that's the more healthy decision to make in that moment.
1: See, so. that's a question I was going to ask you when you're playing these games and you have to make decisions in these role-playing games. Are you mm-hmm. going more for the morally like correct, this is how it should be? Or do you sometimes go like, let's take the bad route. I want to show you guys <laughs> what you shouldn't say you're doing in this situation.
0: <laughs> so I am much more of a believer in illustrating what to do instead of what not to do right it, the human brain works a lot better with representations of like positive like that moves in the affirmative as opposed to in the negative so i g- what i generally do is i make the decision that i would make if it was me and i do not i don't think about like in mass effect i don't think about okay this is a paragon run and in, in red dead i'm not thinking like which decision gives me more honor I make the yeah. decision that I would make and then I say why I made that decision and I use that as a teaching moment. And I'm not saying that I always make the right decision, but I will make a decision that I think is the right decision based on the theoretical principles that I'm using in order to make it. Right. But that's different in so you know there's those games like Mass Effect but in like The Last of Us for example,
1: you have no agency. That's not my
0: you. story. That's exactly yeah. right. And I think a lot of people struggle with The Last of Us because they want it to be their story, and it isn't. It's it's a story of Ellie and Joel and Abby and Lev and all of them. And so in, that, in those games, the way that I'm looking at it is, I am not the one making the decision. I'm not the one who has the right to make that decision. I can analyze the decisions that are made by the characters, but I take those decisions as fact. Like that character made that decision. And so here's my insight into why they would have done that. And I don't even really pay attention to whether it's realistic or not, because that's the decision they made. So I I think it's, and I think that adds a really powerful element to how you consume games like that, because we get so used to being personalized into the game because we are the ones moving the characters around. But there are some games that are just, basically movies that we are moving the characters through and are getting to engage with in some offhanded way. And I think it's important for us to separate ourselves from those people so that we can have a more meaningful experience of what's going on.
1: Yeah. Just because you're playing a game doesn't mean it's not trying to teach you something itself with its morals, with it's like with whatever the writers are trying to say, like you said, people want to tell, they want to play the story that they have in their mind, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a big issue with the last of us part two the the story got leaked beforehand or parts of the story got leaked beforehand and people didn't like what was going to happen they didn't Mm -hmm. like what was happening in the story and they completely missed the point or ended up missing the point because they already made up their mind before playing the game. This is something that I don't know if you've ever watched, uh, Video Game Donkey. This is something he discussed in his discussing the Last of Us Part Two videos, his review and the discussion afterward. Because something he doesn't do often is make video like a, a video about a game twice, and he had to go back right after and talk about it again. Because this positive re- review he made, uh, of a game. And when video game donkey, for those who don't know, makes a review of a game and he doesn't like it, you know, he gets flack, but this being a game he actually enjoyed got more dislikes and more hate than any other video he ever put out because he, you know, and he had his fair criticisms of it as well. But by saying, you know, guys, it's okay to not like parts of this, but you're not liking things that don't make sense. You're not liking it because you think it has an agenda, which all stories do. You're not liking it because you don't like a character. You don't like what they did. And it's like, yeah, this is a really, the last of us is about a zombie apocalypse. You're not always going to like what characters do. The decisions they have to make are tough. Mm-hmm. The The end spoilers for the first last of us came out in 2013. If you haven't played it yet, come on guys. But, uh, the end of the last of us, you choose your character chooses to save his adopted daughter over the world. She has the Mm -hmm. vaccination. Like they have the ability to make a vaccine for the zombie apocalypse based on her, uh, DNA or, or, um, tissue in her brain, but they'd have to kill her to get it. And he goes in and he kills them all. And that's a decision. I, when that first happened in that game, you're holding the gun at the doctor I didn't want to shoot. I thought I had an option not to shoot because they gave you so long. Like you're just standing there. And I had my breath was, I was holding my breath and I just remember like, no, I don't want to make this decision, but that's, it's not mine to make it's mm-hmm. Joel's. Cause this is a story we're being taken through. We're not deciding anything in these games. Yeah. I guess that's a great segue into talking about the last of us, which is the personally, the game that I, I watch you play the most um, because it is, probably one of the in my opinion best games I've ever played both of them Um, I want to talk to you about first of all a very sensitive topic but one that involves the story and a lot of of people were talking about uh, do you feel the naughty dog the company that made The Last of Us uh, tackled the issue of trans representation and accurately do you think that they went about telling Lev's story in a way that Uh, felt natural and um, tackled the issue in a properly with uh, good use of I guess allegory for the real world and how we deal with it because for those who don't know Lev is a young uh, transgender boy he identifies as male in the game he's a part of a religious cult that have gender roles that he does not want to adhere to and I think he's 10 in the game and he at when he was, when he identified, or when he was identified as female, shaved his head, and started identifying as Lev and a male, and a lot of people were angry because they thought that there was going to be a trans character in Abby. Abby is one of the main characters in the game, anti-hero or villain, and she is bulky. Um, she works out a lot. She is a killer. She is a stone cold, heartless killer for uh, a survival a, a group of survival uh, survivalists. They're, they, they have a camp and people saw how she was built and assumed that she was transgender and they were mad about that. And missed the point entirely. They thought that they thought that she was transgender when it was actually this child. And we're still mad about it regardless. When they found out what the actual story was, but the game hadn't even come out yet, and they were making these assumptions. I'm curious, as somebody who deals with mental health, had ha, did you get the sense that they did a good job in
0: tackling that issue? So I I will start my answer to that question by saying that's not for me to decide Um, that I would be I am particularly interested in the opinions and experiences of trans folks who have played the game and seen that representation and whether they would say that that's an accurate representation of their experience and in my experience of the playthrough and in talking to folks throughout, my sense is that Naughty Dog did a solid job with representation relative to how trans issues are usually represented in games. It's oversimplified or vilified or they're in, you know, all this stuff. They made a lot of contemporary identity issues. Like, we don't even have to, not even just as it relates to Lev. Like, in general, relationship and identity issues. They made a lot of those contemporary issues in interwoven throughout the story in a way that was unobtrusive in a way that I think it should be. Like there's a tendency when there are gay characters or trans characters in movies and films and video games to make a point of going out of your way to make that clear that that is there. And it's usually in the form of some kind of archetype that oversimplifies an entire, like that person becomes the vehicle or representation of an entire group instead of having their own nuance and that piece of their identity becomes the major point of their identity well with lev in the last of us it's not really the case like it's you you find out that lev is trans when when lev gets dead named by npcs that you're shooting and it's not even explicitly thrown in your face that that's the case and even if it was that's fine but like there's a conversation between Abby and Lev about the dead naming and Lev says no I don't really want to talk about it and that's fine. Very natural. And it was but it's the 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 different forms of representation in that game are a lot more reflective of the diverse world that we're in now and from what I've seen from many folks that fall into the Like identities that are represented in that game, the overwhelming majority that I have seen, and I'm not a spokesman for any of these groups, um, is that the representation was solid and meaningful to people. And, you know, somebody like me, who's a, a white cis dude. Like, I get represented in a really nice, diverse way with intricacy, and it's all over the place. If I want to find great representation yeah, playing of Arthur my Maiden. identity, I mean, Jesus, yeah, I can find it anywhere I need to look. Uh, that is not the case for folks with marginalized identities. So right. when you have games that are making an effort to diversify the characters in the game and to do it in a way that's meaningful and consulting with people from the group's that they're trying to represent accurately, that's, I think, as good as you can do. You're always going to miss the mark on people's personal experiences, but you do your best to provide accurate representation. And I think that's cool. And if people, like the thing is, nobody holds a gun to anybody's head to make them play a game. So if people don't like a game, you don't have to play it if you're not into that. But I, I think, I mean, the thing is, to, to bring this out a little bit and ha- make it a bit more of like a meta conversation about games in general, which I, I you and I talked a little bit, I think, before we started this podcast, is people with video games have a tendency to sort of like pick and choose where they want to place accountability. And yeah. they when people don't like something that happens in a game, one of the things that they will do is all of a sudden, it becomes clear that we're playing a video game because people blame the developers. Right. So people are super immersed in the game, in the characters. Like the thing is, is like, Lev is trans. A- Abby, you know, Abby looks the way she does. I can't stand how often people comment on Abby's appearance, but Abby yeah, looks the way that she obnoxious. does. It's actually Ellie.
1: great writing too, because it's about, like, you see her transformation body wise. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like, that is something that really upsets me too, because it's like, it makes sense narratively. Everything that they did with both of those characters, with all of the characters, makes sense narratively. I um, I want to bring up the South Park guys a little bit. Matt and Trey were talking at a college about how they do writing, and it's all about um, um, therefore and but. That's how they write. Mm-hmm. Something happens, therefore this happens, But Mm -hmm. this happens. That's the basic tool that they use in their writing. And you really see that with Naughty Dog in the way they wrote The Last of Us. Uh, Mm -hmm. Abby is on a warpath of revenge to, spoiler, go after Joel who killed her father. So she becomes a hardened killing machine. And she's jacked. And you see throughout the game, as she progresses and reconnects with herself through uh, Lev who you know is is, it's the same situation as joel and ellie you know they both Mm -hmm. lost joel and abby both lost somebody and became hardened killers and then reconnected through their companion their you know childlike companion that made them realize you know they're not doing the right thing they're going down the wrong path she becomes less bulky to but like to the point that by the end you know when she's hanging up on the uh uh On the cross that those mercenaries have her on, she's, you know, weightless. And people, that's why a lot of the people thought she was trans, which was like, first of all, that's not how that works. Second of all, you know, you can't just assume things by looking at people like that. It's not, it's not okay. But I think that I know I'm not a part of that community as well, but just the way that they explained, you know, they had ideas. For like the community, the religious cult that Lev was a part of had ideas for how things worked and had roles established that he did not feel he was a part of and rebelled and was punished for it. And I thought that it just worked so effortlessly in telling a nuanced story about something that, like you said, there isn't a lot of representation. There hasn't been up until now when we're getting these characters like this and a lot of people like in the mcu the eternals just came out and um brie larson pointed out a while ago in an interview that the majority of people who review movies are straight white men and that's why when there's a movie about a woman a person of color woman of color or a cast an ensemble cast of people that are not You know Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, and Mark Ruffalo—all straight white men. It's not going to do as well because the minority of reviewing uh, people reviewing these movies are people of color. So when you see these games get like The Last of Us get backlash because you know uh, Joel's dead; he's the only straight white male protagonist besides Tommy, and they're they're mad. They're like, oh. You know, our favorite guy, our lovable guy, Joel, who was a uh, kind of a monster, is dead. And now we're going to be mad at Ellie for being gay and Lev for being trans and Abby for having muscles. It's like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? You know, you guys are missing the point entirely of what they're trying to say. And
0: well, but we, we look, so we look for dissonance and difference as a thing to load our discomfort onto so in the game the decisions that are made and the identities that are represented again this is where gamers have to realize that that game is not about us it's about the stories of the people that are in it like whether you agree and this and this is what i what i mean by saying that like people sort of then they'll zoom out and go meta and blame developers for having an agenda when they don't like something that's In the game that doesn't align with like their values or their sensibilities or what it is that they want Mm -hmm. is you, you either have to decide that you are fully immersed in a game and that you're going to take the relationships and identities at face value for what they are in their entirety in the same way that you would if you were like at a zoo for humans and you were watching an actual like real group of people live their lives you have to take them as they are you can't you can't sit and say well i mean what are you going to do say like oh whoever created these human beings should have done different like you can't do that right right so in games it it creates a very interesting dynamic between characters of a game and players of the game because you can pick and choose where you want to blame developers for a decision you don't agree with as opposed to looking at the characters and saying like oh shit like I don't. I've grown to like this character over the course of the game, but I don't like that decision that that character made, and I'm going to hold that character accountable, right. as opposed to holding developers accountable. So, like an example would be people when people get mad about Joel dying. So many people say, "Well, Joel would never help somebody like Abby," and him putting himself in that. Dangerous position is very unJoel like, and instead of because people have grown to love Joel through The Last of Us One and the Last of Us Two, there's a tendency for people not to look at Joel and say, "Damn, dude, that was you slipped, like yeah. you slipped. You got soft. You were softened you know? up. Well, and he was. I mean, he was softened up he because he, he had a he had the safety of uh Jackson and all that stuff. Well, but." because people don't want that dissonant experience of here's a person that I like making a decision that I don't agree with. People blame the developers of the game as the puppet masters for why Joel made that decision instead of immersing themselves in that aspect of it. And so one of my goals, well not, it wasn't a goal per se, but like one of the things that I was consistently highlighting through my playthroughs. And as I try to do when I'm, when I'm doing these streams is that, these decisions that people make you can certainly judge within the game you are you are welcome to agree or disagree with the decisions that the characters made but you have to put accountability where accountability is due and if that creates a dissonant experience for you that's okay to sit in yeah that like and then that's where i start talking about things like aversive arousal and inconsistency and compensation and all these fun psychological concepts so that people can learn a little bit about themselves in while we're playing a game like that. So it's, that's why that game
1: is perfect for it too, because I think the point of the whole game was to start dialogues to have conversations about what these characters, like what choices they're making. Like when Ellie, when Tommy gives that gives her that, you know, I can't go back out there and get her anymore. She's in California and you, you need to do it. And the shot holds on Ellie while Tommy's getting, uh, reamed out outside you know and she makes that decision to go I didn't want her to make that decision I wanted the game to be over you know yep. I was like oh wow was a long game and it had pacing issues which is one of my actual criticisms of the game if you want to go that route but people don't they like you said they want to say oh she would never go back out after all that well no
0: but she didn't anyway, she that's did the thing is she did she made that decision and a lot of people what I have contended throughout is if The Last of Us 1 was about Abby and her father, then people would be more aligned with Abby in The Last of Us 2. But because we had prior experience, we had emotional investment, and this is what humans do. When you have emotional and personal investment and time sunk into certain relationships— we will tend to fight for those rela- those relationships even when there's data to suggest that maybe that's not the best decision to make. And so there are plenty of moments where Ellie certainly makes decisions that I think many people don't agree with. Hmm. And they have a hard time holding Ellie accountable to those decisions. It's easier to offload that into Abby. And I will say very briefly about the pacing. The thing is you can't, there's no possible way to pace that game effectively because the timelines are happening simultaneously and you can't yeah. play both at the same time. So they lose no matter what they do. If they had started, like I, I've thought that the game should start with Abby, but I, as I've thought more about it, like I think, I think either way is jarring. What people don't like is that the characters they love are making decisions they don't agree with and that we tend to play games for fun. Murray. I don't know about you, but games no, the are Last a of is not for a... me. But the Last of Us is not a fun game. It's sort it's of not... like watching It's like watching Fault in Our Stars.
1: Yeah, movie. you're not watching like it to it's have not a comedy a, it's wrong not a on. movie.
0: Yeah, you're not going to have a good time while you're doing it. You're watching it because you are invested in the characters that are in the story and because there's a lot of aspects to it that are relatable. Exactly. And so if I can take those relatable aspects of games and the characters and the relational dynamics that are happening, And I can use that to provide some insight that helps people maybe engage more meaningfully in their own relationships and think more about the decisions they're making, both interactionally and just in general, then I feel like I've done my job in some ways. And that's really what I am attempting to do through like the TikTok videos and through the streams is for people to say, geez, like, You know, I had an uncle one time who I attempted to get close to, and he just kind of shut down and he moved away from the entire world. And I never really understood that. But watching how Tommy just interacted with Ellie, man, and then the way you described that, Dr. Mick, that gave me a lot of insight into that. I feel like I can do something with that. That's the kind of meaningful, I mean, when I get comments about that type of thing from from people who watch my stuff that's really what is super meaningful and why I think video games are such an amazing template to be able to talk about some of this stuff through
1: yeah and you know you really have already made an impact even if it's one person but it's not you have an audience now a then ever growing audience making an impact is all that matters especially when it comes to mental health because every person counts every person matters yep. and Absolutely. um I guess I'll, I'll ask one last last of us question before moving on, real quick. Um, the ending, Ellie's decision mm-hmm. to let Abby go—spoilers. Mm-hmm. What What was your? I know you probably have a video on it. What was your take? You know, sitting with it now.
0: <laughs> you know what's funny is people. If people are listening to this, they're gonna get a. Uh, they're probably gonna hear this before they see my TikTok about it. Um, so, first of all, that's the decision that Ellie made. I don't have. That's I don't have any problem with that. I'm not going to judge that. I I think that she has a so she has a flashback right before she has the opportunity to go to <sighs> Abby, and she has a image of Joel sitting on the porch, and she's walking away from him, or she's not walking away from him. She's like looking at, him. She's looking the right porch. at him, yeah. And I think there's two two things that go through her mind in that moment that contribute to that decision. The first one is that I think Ellie realizes that, um. This is the more simple answer is that killing Abby is not going to change whether Joel comes back or not. Right. And when people are in distress, they seek proximity to their attachment figures. And in that moment, when Ellie is distressed and she's at that moment, she internally seeks proximity to Joel. He is who shows up in her mind. And we later see, after the credits, a, or maybe it's right before conversation between Ellie and Joel, where she says that she wants to work to forgive him. Right. And Ellie does not have the opportunity. And I make a point of this throughout the playthrough. Ellie will never have an opportunity to forgive Joel because he died. And so she is, all she's left with is the internal idealized version of Joel that she has. Well, in that moment, when Joel pops up, I think... Her forgiveness of Abby by pulling her out of the water is a proxy for forgiving Joel. So she can't forgive Joel, but she can make a decision that Joel would likely either approve of or allows her to carry on in a way that she can look at and say, like, is this in the spirit of like what I had from Joel? Like, Am I really going to accomplish anything to bring this man's memory back by killing the woman who killed him? Yeah. No, so I I'm going to let you go and I'm going to let you be probably as miserable as I have been given that you have to live with all this trauma that I've had to live with. Yeah, and I'm going to let you take care of Lev and I don't even know who Lev is, but I'm going to let you take because I don't want to take away from that boy what was taken away from me. And it was ultimately, I think, her forgiving Joel. I don't think that moment has anything to do with Abby, and it never did. That entire yeah. journey has to do with Ellie reconciling Joel and lying to her. Joel taking away what she thought was going to be her impact on the world, taking away a huge chunk of her identity, lying to her face about it for several years while she knew it, and then becoming more vulnerable with her where she decided, hey, yeah, I think I want to work to try to forgive you for this, and then never having the opportunity to do so, and watching him die in a way that absolutely violated her expectations of who he is. So, I mean, it's all like it's in this very hyperbolized zombie apocalypse kind of way, but I think all of us, in some ways, can connect to the grief aspect that the the forgiveness aspect, the desire to hurt the people who hurt us, yeah, to not being able to say goodbye. It's rare that people ever die where we feel like everything's resolved with them when they do die. Like that stirs up a lot in all of us. And that moment where Ellie is choking Abby becomes a moment of projection for all of us, where like we are all going to take our personal experiences, grief and revenge and hurt, and we're going to thrust it into that moment and then make a judgment about the decision that Ellie made. I totally understand why there are some people that say Ellie should have killed Abby. I also totally understand people who say Ellie made the right decision by letting her live. I don't think either decision is better or worse than the other one. Other than like, I mean... I don't really see a need for Abby to die there, especially <laughs> given that Abby spares Ellie multiple times prior right. to that moment. So it's it's one of those things where like it be, that is one of those moments that does become about us, but not because we should be able to decide the story, because we should self reflect on our own convictions and values as a Why do to the I feel like that are affecting us exactly?
1: Yeah, yeah, why do I feel like she needs to do this or not? I remember like don't do it, you know. I get it you came all the way here through all of this but you know I had time to connect with abby because you know and it's it's so cyclical because abby went through that same thing and ended up killing joel and then her world fell apart the cycle of violence never ended ellie finally broke it by not killing abby because lev would have then grown up and killed ellie or you know something else would have happened that it's all, it's all cyclical, or it seems cyclical in that story, and I think that's something that I really liked about the way they uh, they told it. But that's all I want to say about that game. I don't want to make this the uh, the last of us hour, you know. It's my favorite game, but uh, I'll, I'll ask this about Red Dead. Uh, Red Dead 2, huge open-world game, a lot of side quests, but a great singular narrative. How do you decide how you're going to tackle that? Like, you know, you're playing it right now. Are you just going straight through the story, or are you – how often are you deviating and doing fun other little things?
0: I go. I start when I started the game. So full disclosure, I have never played Red Dead prior to this playthrough. This is a purely blind playthrough. I, you didn't I, I play know one of the start. Well, I played one, but I know nothing about two. Okay. So, um, I just I started out with kind of this idea that I was going to try to keep on the same track that I've gone on with some of the other games. But I have recently, I'd say in the last maybe four or five episodes, I kind of had a a discussion with my uh two friends that i mentioned earlier and then kind of landed on you know what just like relax and take the game in and go wherever it takes you and it has been that has really made a difference in terms of my engagement with it because we get context and pieces along the way about the characters and and like they because they are pretty cryptic up front and you get information from the world and i have found that red dead has been a really cool mix of like entertainment and education and has provided some really hilarious moments, but has also provided some cool opportunities for discussions. Like I'm thinking about, there was a moment with Dutch and he's fighting with, uh, I think it's Molly Dutch and Molly are fighting in his tent at the camp and they have an argument. That's like a classic couples argument yeah. it turned into a 25 minute conversation with chat about what I as a therapist see who works with couples. What I saw in that <laughs> argument, my analysis of content versus process what I might have done to intervene in that moment and how people can apply that to their own relationships. And it was really cool because it was just an offhanded argument that was happening in the camp. And so the illustrations are a little bit more random in Red Dead, but yeah. they're no less meaningful as a result of that. So I just kind of go wherever I want to go and decide to do whatever I want to do. And we we take detours to play poker and all sorts of stuff like that. And the life it's been of a, a cowboy and really, really great. Yeah. That's so.
1: awesome. Um. Yeah, Red Dead Rockstar really packs its games with content like yep. that. It really flushes out the world. Do you plan on playing any of the Grand Theft Autos?
0: No. Um. I've been. I've played Grand Theft Auto Five like four times. I have no interest in playing <laughs> again. I would play Grand Theft Auto Six if if Rockstar ever uh, comes out with it. But Twenty
1: years. Yeah. Yeah. You want to go back to four. I feel like there's a great story there that deals with uh. mental, like trauma and PTSD No
0: there there is like i think nico's story is really interesting and there's a lot of characters in grand theft auto 4 that i enjoy a lot but i don't i don't know that honestly mostly from a gameplay standpoint like i don't know that i could bring yeah. myself to play the game it's just so hard i mean god after playing grand theft auto 5 and you don't want to go bold progress at this point yeah, yeah. Nico, um, my cousin, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um no, I have a huge list of games ahead of me. And I was just so... about to
1: ask what's on the what's on the agenda, what's going on. I got some ideas.
0: Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, you and so many. I mean, I get TikTok, TikTok comments every day of people giving me suggestions of what I should play. I uh, so Cyberpunk 2077 is on my list. Dragon Age Origins, oh, possibly okay. Dragon Age Inquisition, Witcher Three, okay, uh, Control, um, Walking Dead. See, Tale, yeah the, dead. the
1: telltale games i think like yep. the batman one the walking dead the uh the wolf one i played wolf I Amo- i've played wolf, wolf among us. us that's a
0: game that i've already played um I, there's there's more that i'm not thinking about off the top of my head I, I get requests so the number one most requested game i get is god of war yeah and that's the one so, man. and here's the thing man everybody thinks everybody thinks that because that game is all about kratos and atreus that that game must have a ton of content in it. And it does not.
1: Yeah, that I game, see that.
0: It's not a game that I would be able to generate as much content as people think. And so the game is different than the other God of Wars. I understand that it's very, I mean, I've played it. I love the game, but like it wouldn't, it wouldn't have the content dump that I'd be able to do with the other games. Plus, I just don't really want to play the game again. But yeah. That game requested all the time. And I'm like, guys, this would be 90% me playing the game in like five percent analysis.
1: What about Spider-Man, the Sony Spider-Man?
0: Not opposed to it, but I don't know much about it. And the problem is my list is so long at this point that adding to it starts to become more anxiety-provoking than anything else. So... That one's pretty um,
1: linear story-wise. Also, Bioshock, I thought, would be an interesting one. But, you know, you the way you talk about the God of War, he's just a grumpy old dad who doesn't want to tell his son. Sounds like my dad, you know? He's just Yeah, like, there's like
0: five instances I can think of in the playthrough where there would be really cool content moments that would come from it, but the rest of it is just a bunch of filler and puzzle solving, and that is, <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I like to do when I'm playing games offline, but it doesn't really work.
1: Chat, we're gonna pause for this uh, mountain puzzle right here, and I'm gonna tell yeah, you why.
0: <laughs> right, like, oh my god, I just can't quite get this boomerang to throw the way that I want it to. That that to me is not interesting content. So
1: And then you can't go the other route and play games like Kingdom Hearts that have like really basic stories. Just I mean, that would be like an April Fool's Day fun. Like today we're gonna dissect uh, yeah, no. the, the lore and story of Kingdom Hearts and why, you know. <laughs> but um,
0: Yeah, no way.
1: Do you do you find yourself enjoying playing the the more rpg like telltale and choice based games or do you like throwing yourself in other people's worlds you know what i mean like playing a game like the last of us or red dead do you prefer having some agency
0: they're different vibes the the therapist in me prefers games like The Last of Us where I can jump into other people's stories and really mm. just kind of take them as they are and analyze what's happening. The the gamer in me likes the games like Mass Effect and Red Dead where I have a little bit more influence on the world and can talk through my own decision making. Like I think there's a benefit to either direction. And so there are some people that are drawn to I really like listening to your thought process on the decisions that you make because it helps me think about my own inner dialogue when I'm going to make decisions. And there's absolute utility to that, and I, I appreciate that. And then there's other people that would say that they find more meaning in hearing just a perspective on something that I didn't have any influence on, and instead am fully analyzing and not thinking about my own agenda relative to it. Nice. So I like I like both. I would probably say from a content production standpoint, stand um, or a psychological content production standpoint, the games that are more narratively driven, like The Last of Us, are probably better. But I do think from like a more holistic streamer content, like captures the entire essence of what I'm trying to do standpoint. I think a game like Red Dead is gonna be like a lot more like that because there's those fun moments that are interspersed with the Yeah, Red Dead has
1: everything you want because you're right because yeah. you know last of us when you're playing that and then the you know the story very straightforward not a lot of not a lot of wiggle room <laughs> but um i guess just talking about how your fans react i gotta ask what's it what's it like to have such a you know interactive community and how have they impacted you
0: so i would say that the community attached to my content is really the the draw I mean beyond what you can learn from what I have to say so I was on Twitch for three years and then in October I switched to YouTube and even when I moved to YouTube the community stayed pretty like stayed together and no matter where we've been my community has been this like corner of refuge from the just toxicity that's just everywhere in places like twitch and yep. you know, even youtube chat and stuff and so why that happens though is because one i'm super strict with uh with boundaries i am quick to ban people if they don't contribute to the community in a meaningful way I don't do this for numbers. I I don't stream because I want to have 10,000 people watching. Would that be cool? Absolutely. Would I love to have 3 million subscribers on YouTube? Yes, I would love that. But I don't do it for quantity. I do it for quality. So I think when people pop in for the first time and they see chat and they see how people interact with each other, you realize really quickly that this is not a community where you're going to get away with nonsense. Like As soon as somebody comes in, if somebody says something stupid or trolly, they're out. Like I don't yeah. have any time for that. I'm not going to put one person over the needs of people that I, like a community that I've been cultivating for over three years at this point. So the community, I mean, I have amazing moderators that work really hard for the community. I have, um, just. You're sort of like pseudo moderators that are like people that are there all the time that keep the vibe really strong. And then there's the people that kind of come and go as they please in terms of like, you know, if there's a game like when I, there were people that showed up for Mass Effect that left The Last of Us. There's people that showed up for Red Dead that didn't watch Mass. Like you get, depending on the game I'm playing, I get different people as well. But as it's grown, no matter how much it's scaled, the community has had the exact same vibes that it had when I was streaming to 20 people. And I mean, yeah. there have been times on Twitch where I was I was above three or four hundred and I it's always had the same bod, or same yeah. vibe. So I, the community travels well. It's a wonderful group. The Discord's awesome, chat's awesome. It's I couldn't ask for better people to be around, and honestly, I think that's part of what gives me the energy to do this as much as I do. That's awesome.
1: That's always good to hear. You have you've cult, you like you said you've cultivated a great audience that is here for the ride and here to learn, and I think that's the most important part about it. Is mm-hmm. you know they're here to uh, take it take it in from a different perspective. Everybody loves video Mm -hmm. games that's watching you and now they're getting something else out of it, which is great. Um, That's the goal. So for those people interested in pursuing something, you know, you have a very specific niche, I guess niche uh, field that you're working in right now or area Mm -hmm. of expertise what advice do you have to people getting into Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, pursuing anything in media like this? And uh, maybe they have a niche idea or maybe not, but how do you how do you go about telling people that want to pursue something like what you're doing how to do
0: it? Uh, the very first thing I have to say to anybody who does that is it's freaking hard. It's not, I, when I went into this, I had no idea what I was going into and I laughed when I think about it, because I thought that just because I was a therapist who played video games, people would automatically be interested. That is not how it works. Um, it might've been how it worked back in like 2013 when there was a handful of people on Justin TV that you would see, but like, that's not the case anymore. There's thousands upon thousands of content creators. So you, you have to work hard. Um, you have to make connections. You, you, you have to focus on what is it that you like what is your mission why are you doing what you're doing beyond the quantitative metrics of being a streamer like if i have 4 people watching me versus if i have 4000 people watching me my mission is exactly the same yeah i i'm trying to destigmatize mental health and provide information to people who wouldn't otherwise have it in a responsible and ethical way Like that's, and I I do that by illustrating concepts through video games. That is something that transcends no matter what context I'm in. So you've got to know what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it and be realistic in your goals and your expectations and your metrics for what you consider to be growth and make sure that what you're doing is of high quality. I think there's a lot of people that there's a lot of people with really awesome things to say that don't present it in a way that people want to watch. And I would tell you that I actually did not want to do TikTok initially. Um, that was Sean's idea. Oh. So I, Sean was like, hey, dude, you should do TikTok. You should absolutely have videos on TikTok. I was like, I don't want to be on TikTok. I don't like the app. I'm not really interested in it. And he was like, no, you, you should look more into it. We're going to put some videos up on TikTok and we're going to see what happens. And that is... Quite literally the best decision that was ever made for the stream. And on Friday, it just hit a million likes on TikTok. That is congratulations. Thank you. That is not the platform that I thought was going to blow up the, the biggest, but it is. And the reason for that, I think, is because like people like you have said, it's a three minute burst of really accessible content that captures the essence of what I do. And Sean's editing on it makes it it brings it to life. And that makes it so that the message is more interesting to take in and is more impactful for people. Whereas if I'm just sitting and I'm just talking at a screen and I'm not engaging and there's nothing around it, I could say the most profound thing in the world and it's not engaging for people. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand when they try to go into content creation is that, I mean, I was in theater for a long time. I, enjoy performance and one of the thing in public speaking and things like that and one of the things you learn as a teacher or whatever is that you have to know your audience you have to know who you're trying to reach and you have to know how to engage with them and if you don't know how to do that and you don't make an effort to figure out the people you're trying to reach you're going to miss the mark and it's not going to stick and so i know i'm talking to primarily gamers i know there are non-gamers that watch what i do too And I know what that is. I know what jargon to use and I do my best. So my advice for people is to really be thoughtful about what you want to create. Don't just don't just jump in and be like, well, this is a cool idea I have. So let's go really be thoughtful about that content and be ready for it to be an uphill battle. It's a hard space to enter into. I have people all the time. I have I currently have less than 6000 subscribers on YouTube. I have people all the time that come into my comments and say, dude, this should have millions of subscribers. It doesn't because it's very hard to get out there. I believe in what I'm doing. I love the content that I create. I think it's really meaningful content, but it's not easy to get discovered. It's not easy to build a community. You have to hang in there through. I mean, hell me switching from Twitch to YouTube was a big transformation for the stream. That is an initial hit that is going to have long-term utility, I think. So you got to be willing to make those hard decisions. You got to be willing to ban people that don't fit your vibe. Uh, It's, it's, a tough space to enter, but also do it. You don't, people can't consume your content unless you make it.
1: That's awesome. I, uh, one last question. Would you ever do interviews with the writers of some of these games and, or would you ever work with a company as like a consultant for, you know, writers and characters in the games?
0: Yes. And I've been pretty adamant about this, actually, for a while. I think really since I started my Mass Effect run. Maybe even when I did Skyrim. Um, Yes. So I would love it if, let's say, Naughty Dog or Bioware or Rockstar, whomever, decided, hey, if they saw my content, we're like, damn, this guy knows what he's talking about. I would love to consult on stuff like that. If people are like, "Hey, you know we got these two characters. We're trying to figure out a particular vibe, particular dynamic. We want to know, like what are the theoretical concepts that play a role in how people would make this certain decision? Does this line up? What are your thoughts? Yes, I would absolutely consult with that. i would I would love to break into that. I have no idea how to break into that. I got it. I have to believe that the only way that's really going to happen is if somebody discovers my content, on like TikTok and a writer's like, damn, look at this shit. This guy's just totally analyzing the last of us. And this is really neat. It would be interesting to hear this guy's thought on our game. I mean, that kind of thing I'd absolutely be willing to do. It's it's. I love talking about relationships. I love talking about like, I mean, all of that stuff. So if I could have some influence there and help people make meaningful content, I would love to do that. That's awesome. That's what I like to hear. You know,
1: Neil Druckmann from uh, Naughty Dog always on Twitter. You know,
0: <laughs> Neil, if you're listening, buddy, yeah, hit me up.
1: <laughs> Neil yeah. Druckmann listening to the Queens College podcast. I love it. Um, I hope he is. I hope you're listening, Neil. And I hope you enjoyed this. We talked about your game a lot. We both are fans. I think. I don't want to assume for you, but yeah, yeah.
0: No, I am. Okay, yeah. cool.
1: Um, Doctor Mick, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on and talking do you want to give me uh all of your uh shout outs and your socials
0: well first of all thank you for having me for those of you that made it to the end of the podcast thank you so much for listening i appreciate you if you want to find me you can find me primarily on youtube it's youtube.com slash dr mick d-r-m-i-c-k you can uh, subscribe to the channel. Make sure you turn on alerts. Hit all, and you'll get go-live notifications. I'm live every night of the week, except for Mondays at 9.30 p.m. Pacific Time. All of my social links so are in the description of my YouTube channel, but you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash live. All one word. You can find me on Instagram at drmicklive. You can find me at TikTok at Dr. Mik Tok, D R M I C K T <laughs> O K, and uh, you can find me. Yeah, those are the those are the places that you can find me. Twitter has my beacons, which has all my links if you need to find that. But YouTube is the primary place to find me. That's where live streams are. You can also catch full playthroughs that are edited uh, for all the games that I've played so far, as well as some fun streams that are mixed in. But that's that's where that's where you'll find me
1: and that is our time today thanks again for stopping by i appreciate the interview and i will still be watching even after i promise don't worry you're not losing
0: me (laughs) i appreciate that thank you for having me